editions on positive versus punitive and finding the middle ground. Now some of you may know that before Christmas we did a podcast episode on the harshness that can be found in traditional training. We wanted to make sure that we bring to you a balanced conversation and so in the next two episodes we will be talking about the extremes that can be found in positive only training. We join with the fantastically famous Robert Elaine and his Canine Instructor Academy instructors to talk about how you might need to work on finding the middle ground whilst training your dog. A lot of us think there is one versus the other. You know, I either need to be all traditional or I need to be all positive. And that really isn't the case. And we talk about why. This is a two-part episode. Today you're getting the first part. And next week, obviously, will be the second part. It is over an hour and 20 minutes of fantastic training with so many wonderful nuggets of information that I know you're going to love and adore. As always, please make sure to give us your feedback. Share your photos of yourself listening to our podcasts on Instagram and make sure you tag at Ladies Working Dogs to be in with a chance of winning something fantastic for our shop. So, let's get started. When this conversation started with Claire about potentially having this conversation with yourselves and with Rob, it was first thing in the morning, I got to sleep very, very late and I woke up to, do you want to do a podcast with the CIA? So I was a little bit like, who? Claire, what are we on about? <laughs> I didn't know if over the night she'd got involved in some way with sort of the American <laughs> counterparts, but... Can somebody sort of start off? Can we start with Rob? What is the Canine Instructor Academy? So the Canine Instructor Academy is a course that I set up for dog trainers, stroke behaviorists, call them what you will. Uh, I was a little bit disheartened with some of the advice that some clients were being given. And I wanted to create what I felt were more rounded trainers that were more understanding of really how it is that we should be looking at training dogs. And I thought, well, there's no point just sitting there complaining. If I'm not happy with it, I should do something about it. So I started running these courses so that people could come and see how I train and then decide whether or not that's what they're looking for. So when you chat a little bit there about your frustrations, what were those frustrations around? So um, I think we've kind of lost ourselves a little bit when it comes to how to train dogs. One of the things I talk about a lot is why is it a generation ago there was no such thing as a dog behaviorist we didn't have dog behaviorists it was just kind of a smattering of dog trainers out there but most people kind of got on okay they they eventually got the dog that they wanted uh, a generation ago the average age of a dog going into rescue was sort of three to four and we're now at a state where the average age is apparently only about eight months and i thought something has gotten gone very wrong and i think what we're seeing is because there's been more and more pressure to only acknowledge good behavior and ignore all the bad behavior, that what started to happen was dogs became kind of free to do pretty much what they liked. And we as owners were led to feel that we were failing the dog 
if we didn't always give it positive stuff. And that just sometimes didn't work. And I relate it directly to what we've seen happen in the same period with our children. We've also been told we're not supposed to punish our children. We're only supposed to acknowledge good behavior. And they've all gone feral. And I thought, well, why is this happening to both groups at the same time? And I feel it's because although we should be doing positive reinforcement, I believe that you can't effectively train a dog without positive reinforcement. And that should be our kind of go-to. But the problem occurs when the dog says, I realize what you have, but I don't want it. I'd rather do this or I'd rather have that. So I know you've got that tasty chicken there. Well, you eat it. I don't want it. I'm going to go and get myself a squirrel. And what do we do at that point? And I hear all these owners who are told, well, you just need more exciting food. You just need to be more exciting. And the owners are like, I can't. I'm throwing food everywhere. I'm scattering it all over the place. I brought a whole ostrich in and he doesn't want it. What do I do now? And so that's what I think is going wrong. Even that statement in itself, I find myself nodding along to the entire thing because I have children and I know for myself, if they've got um, a decision in their mind, I can go through 15 things, even with the teenagers down to bribery with money. And then they're just like, that's not what I want right now. I want to do this. Well, I think we know positive reinforcement works. And if you offer the dog a valuable reward for doing something that behavior is likely to repeat but what we don't necessarily take on board is the same is true with undesirable behaviors if the dog is doing something i don't want it to do and i throw food at it to try and stop it from doing that i'm essentially rewarding that behavior so what i see is lots of dogs who still do the wrong thing but then sit and wait for their food treat they never understand that they're actually doing the wrong thing what they learn is if i jump up somebody throws food on the floor to make me get down I should jump up more often. Jumping up gets me paid. If I come in with a sock in my mouth, somebody does me a trade to get the sock back. It's actually rewarding to bring in the sock. The more I bring in the sock, the more food I get. So I completely get the principle of this, but what we see in reality is actually the dog ends up getting worse and worse and worse. I grew up in a small holding. There was no positive reinforcement with my father. There was stay out of my way, do as I ask, or I'm going to shout very loudly there really was literally that and do- the dog slept outside in the porch there was no um super warm kennels for them they they laid outside the front door you know it was very much when you talk about how it's changed it's changing a really short space of time isn't yeah. it from the dog being the dog to the dog now being a member of our family yeah and I say this all the time I love my dogs people who know me will know that but I try and always keep in mind that he's not a member of my family. Now, I know a lot of people won't like that, and it's perfectly fine for you to see your dog as a member of your family. But what you have to do is treat him like a member of your family. Now, I go into houses where the children are banished when I get there. And if they come down the stairs, the parent will go, get back up, I'm trying to talk to the trainer. While the dog is languishing on the sofa, being fed (laughs) treats and being told what a wonderful dog he is, and he can do no wrong. And I say, you don't even treat your children like that. You recognise with your children that right from when they were very small, in order for them to grow up to be well-rounded adults, there have to be some consequences to making wrong choices. And we see the children that don't have that don't end up as very well-rounded adults. And exactly the same is true of dogs. And what we've got to bear in mind is a dog, certainly a, a, a reasonably large dog, can kill us if it grows up with no boundaries it's going to make really poor choices 
And now we have a dog who's potentially dangerous. And the only thing we can do is either try and distract it or offer it food to try and discourage it from being dangerous, which of course just reinforces being dangerous. So I think that there's a naivety that says that this will work and this is a good idea. And I love the, the theory of that, but the reality is more and more people are being attacked by dogs, more and more people are being killed by dogs. Dogs are attacking people younger than they ever did before. We can see this not working. Everything Rob has just said, Joe, really does mirror some of the stuff that we're seeing going on on the Ladies Working Dog Group at the moment. We're seeing so many people are saying they're looking for force-free gun dog trainers. And you and I know from our conversations, Joe, that this is because traditionally gun dog training tends to be harsh. And you've just done a podcast on that with Louise, which was phenomenal and fantastic. So you can see why the appeal for looking for force-free or positive-only or R-plus-only training is there because people don't – they feel like the option is – and Rob and I talk about this all the time – they feel like the option is, well, I either have to use punishment or I have the choice of using force-free, reward-based-only training – to teach my dog what I want it to do. And at no point is anybody adopting some common sense and going, well, actually, I'm going to use reward-based training to teach my dog, but at some point, some boundaries need to be put into place. So what do you think has caused, Claire, to, to, to bring you on that point, what do you think has caused this not looking for the middle ground? In my opinion, and based on the clients that I see, I'm often not the first trainer that they've worked with. So I hear a lot of stories of people that were put off of gun dog training because their dog was kicked, punched, hit round the head with a lead, dummy bags thrown at them, um, all sorts of things that create really quite horrible situations for the dog and the owner and sometimes it's the trainer doing those things to the dogs not the owner and the owner is just standing there thinking well they're the expert they must know what they're doing so then you've got obviously people thinking well gun dog training must be like that unless you're force free and obviously nobody wants to damage their relationship with their dog nobody wants to see their dog fearful for me there's nothing worse than watching a gun dog working that looks fearful and you see it a lot unfortunately you can see the body language in the dog they're doing it in a robotic way they're not doing it because they enjoy working in partnership with their owner There are still some trainers who are what I would consider to be pretty harsh. You know, when I first started in dog training, um, things like food or toys were seen as bribery. You know, the dog's supposed to just do it. And the training then was pretty abusive. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It was really hard. And, And I had a very sensitive little dog at the time. And I really struggled with that concept of being as harsh on him as I was being told to be by the trainer but like our clients I was just a pet owner who'd gone to this class with my puppy and that was what I was told to do and I think going back to something Claire just talked about what we've lost sight of is the middle ground we've kind of gone from one extreme to the other and what I hear all the time is one versus the other why should we do this when we can do this well why should we do that when we can do that when in fact I think what we should be doing is something in the middle by all means we should be using all of the available tools in our toolbox we should be open to that 
And I'm talking about that bit in the middle. That's what we should be doing, encouraging dogs to make really good choices, but creating some consequences or negative consequences for if the dog still says, I don't want to do that. And that just seems like common sense. And the funny thing is, and I know everybody in here will agree, is that our clients, we find when we explain that to them, they all go, well, that's kind of what I thought. I hear this all the time with clients who go, well, even as the trainer was telling me to ignore the bad behavior, it didn't make sense to me. I thought, well, how's he going to get any better? Even the owners have worked this out. And that's what I find most disturbing is that even though pet owners with no experience of dog training go, well, that doesn't really make sense to me. Isn't he going to get worse if I just ignore all of his bad behavior? So I think we've just got to accept that there's no point in carrying on down that road. We can see it not working. And then what we have to do as trainers is offer something fuller. I hear about sort of positive only dog training, force-free dog training. As a customer of trainers, what do I need to know about those types of training to help me understand why they will or won't work? Owners are surprisingly familiar with these terms now. And I think there's nobody in training as vociferous as positive only trainers. They are shouting from the rooftops. Um, I remember just a couple of years ago, hearing this term for the first time of dogs being reactive. Once upon a time, we said that dog was aggressive. And of course, the dog was like people only aggressive sometimes. But as soon as a client said to me, my dog's got an aggression problem, I had an idea of what he was doing. Then suddenly, positive only trainers started to say, well, we shouldn't call it aggressive. We should call it reactive. Aggressive is too harsh a word. And I thought the first thing that went through my mind is, I'm sure the dog doesn't care. If I say he's aggressive, he doesn't take it personally. Why is this an issue? Why is this kind of political correctness now creeping into dog training? And within just a couple of years now, I hardly ever get a client who say, says their dog is aggressive. They all say he's reactive. And what that says to me is, well, what does reactive mean? Does it mean he gets really excited? Does it mean that he's really aggressive or anything in between? I don't know. So then I have to ask them to quantify that. What do you mean by reactive? And then they'll explain that he's aggressive. And I say, well, you could have just told me that. But it's very quickly crept in. I mean, I saw one the other day that said, isn't it time we stop telling dogs and start asking them? Well, of course, there's no point in asking them because he can't answer because he's a dog. And the clue is there, isn't it? <laughs> you know, If I start asking, would you like to chase that squirrel or would you rather come back for this tasty treat? He'll go, thanks very much, Dad. I think I'd rather chase the squirrel. And off he goes. And now I can't get him back. For me, dog training has to be a kind of dictatorship. I have to say, this is what I want you to do. And the dog has to do it because I'm the parent. I have the foresight to know what the repercussions are if he doesn't do it. So it's this kind of talk that I think is causing the problems with owners now who are also then taking this on. I need to find a force-free trainer because I saw on some social media that I have to find a force-free trainer. I don't know why, but that's what they're saying. To be brutally honest, that's probably where... Yes, I understand what positive trainer means, or I think I do. And then I think I know what force-free means. But am I signing up thinking that if I have a positive trainer or a force-free trainer, they're going to teach me to train my dog in a nice way? Am I assuming that the common sense will still be there? Do I know that I'm signing up to an almost extreme form of it so when I go along thinking oh yes I definitely want a positive trainer because I don't want anybody to be mean to my little gun dog here she can't take it do I think that when I walk in I'm going to be told oh actually don't don't tell her off for anything at all well I think you know I get the romanticism of that I can see why an owner would want that 
you know, I would want my child to only be instructed in ways that he sees as positive. But when I chose my son's school, I deliberately picked a school that I knew they would punish him if he crossed the line, because I knew that if he didn't, he'd end up a wild child. So I love the theory of that, but the reality is he's also got to have those boundaries. And so I think owners hear constantly about the importance of finding a positive only or force-free trainer. And they go, well, that sounds great. Yeah, I think I'd like one of those because they don't have the background knowledge to understand the repercussions of it. So they go, yes, I keep hearing that I need to find a positive only trainer. So they go off and find one. So we start getting asked, are you positive only? And we say, no, we're not. And the owner immediately, oh God, I'm not supposed to have one of those. No, no, I'm, I'm supposed to have a positive only one. So eventually they find one. And six months later, they're calling us and saying, I've had this positive only trainer. It was terrible because my dog just ran right. He got worse after the training. So like with so many things, I think there's a difference between the theory and the reality. Owners are being badgered into looking for positive only trainers without really understanding, A, what a positive only trainer will do, and B, the repercussions of that. So back a little bit when you were saying about the choice thing, and this comes back to a podcast that we did a little while ago when we were talking about cues and commands. That for me is is a really kind of obvious um, example of how crazy this is getting. To say that you can't give your dog a command because the dog has to have choice is crazy Because as Rob just said, if you give a dog a choice, it's really very rarely going to be the same choice that you're going to make. Hardly ever, especially in the early days of teaching a dog what it is that you want. So when I give my dog an instruction, yes, it's a command. It's not a cue. It's not it's not a would you like to sit? Would you like to come back on the recall? it's not optional. I can't have my dog running down in front of the guns and potentially getting shot. I can't have my dog running around chasing all of the birds that are alive and well and kicking and uh, (laughs) literally and and should be left alone. The dog can't have these choices. Uh, We are literally talking about life and death scenarios in the extreme cases that us educating our dog about what we need it to do when we ask it I said ask it but actually when we tell it to do it why that's so important so I think there's all this talk at the moment about giving dog choice and letting the dog and waiting for the dog to to make the right choice I would be waiting a very 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 long time in some circumstances to to get my dog to actually make the choice that in my head I'm wanting if I haven't educated the dog about that it just doesn't make sense it's not practical and actually I think it's very unfair on the dog and you're setting them up for failure on so many levels. I recently moved to a new area um I've got a new, whole new client base. People don't know me very well here. And since I've moved, um, people are doing a lot of what Rob just mentioned of asking me, are you positive only? I've been told I need a positive only trainer. Um, that's what I'm looking for, force free. And I'm always very, very clear that that's not what I am. Um, and in those few moments when I'm explaining, well, no, I'm not positive only. I'm not force free. But this is the way I train. Um, I haven't had a single person say, oh, no, that's not what I want. Because actually, um, I really find that most people will just say, oh, yeah, 
that that sounds great. That's that's exactly what I'm looking for. That's that seems to make sense. That's common sense. Um, I find that most pet owners already know that it makes sense to reward the good things and educate your dog, reward them, reinforce the behaviours you want, but also to say, no, you can't do that. I either don't like it, that's dangerous. I know the law, you don't. I need to be able to keep you safe. And to do that, I need to be able to say no in whatever way, um, whilst obviously never being harsh. But yeah, I just, I think people have always, you know, have already kind of got a good idea of what they're looking for a lot of the time. And quite frequently, I find it's it can be other trainers who are on the positive only side that have this ideology that can be a little bit harder um, to get through to about the way that, that we all train. I'm really intrigued with what you just said there, Rose. And I think this is maybe what I was trying to sort of say a little bit earlier. If I came to you and said, I'm looking for positive only trainer, and, and you said to me, well, what do you think a positive trainer is? I would probably describe what you actually are. I wouldn't, you know, because that's what I think a positive trainer is. I don't think I would explain the type of trainer who is what, I don't want to say a pure range trainer, but you know what I mean, that trainer where, you know, you shouldn't put a lead on it. We've had that. You shouldn't put a lead on a dog because it's not fair on the dog. And I'm like, oh, this world has lost the plot now. You have to put a lead on the dog. So do you think that because when you say, no, I'm not that type of trainer, but I am this type of trainer, they are absolutely on board with what type of trainer you are because you're explaining what they're actually looking for? Yes, absolutely. And I think we've got so much terminology being thrown around. We, we, they, we, just, we just take a term like positive only, force free. And I thought you were saying before, that sounds great. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? But actually, when we kind of get down to the nitty gritty of what that means, um, and what the what the type of training that we do, which I would I, you know I would call using common sense a lot of the time. Um, actually, yeah, that's that's exactly what people are looking for. And usually, by the time people have contacted us, um, they, a lot of people are desperate to have a way to say, "Please stop doing that to their dog." Following on from what Rosa just said, and she's I mean just absolutely encapsulated that whole theory and why it just doesn't work. The other point I was going to make is that of all the dozens and dozens of positive only trainers I know, I don't know a single one who really claims to be positive only that has what I would consider a well-behaved dog, even at basic pet level. You know, so you go into that person's house, their dog is three years old, it's still jumping up and they're saying to you, yeah, when you come in, I'm going to give you a box of food, just throw food on the floor to stop him from jumping up. And I think you're supposed to be the trainer. You're supposed to be the expert. If you consistently cannot make this work, then to me, morally, how can you be okay with selling that concept to a client? You can't even make it work. And I saw a, a, a post on Facebook a couple of months ago. I was absolutely horrified. It was a positive only trainer who wrote this whole dialogue of how he'd been a dog trainer for 10 years. He was a member of various different behavioral organizations. I'm oh, sorry, he was a behaviorist, he said. Uh, as opposed to a trainer. Um, he has over 10 years experience. He was a member of several different behavioral organizations. And then he did this whole conversation about how he has five dogs. And he basically said, they're all out of control. He said, they all pull on the lead. They don't come back when they're called. They jump up. 
and basically behave like his client's dogs, every one of them. But he's, he then went on to describe, but he's not perfect and his dogs are not perfect. And, you know, this is what happens in real life. And what I was really shocked by is when I then clicked on that post on his own page, dozens and dozens of behaviorists and trainers had liked and loved it and commented on how this is so wonderful. I felt I was alone. I felt I was the only one whose dogs behaved this way. I'm so glad to see that I'm not unique, that there are loads of us out there who sell this myth to clients but can't make it work. And I thought, oh, my God, this is where we're going wrong. This is why I set up the Canine Instructor Academy. Because when you've got dozens or even hundreds of behaviorists and trainers who are saying, I sell this concept, but even I can't make it work, why morally do you think it's okay to charge people for it? We had so many messages of people about positive trainers. And I think it's only fair that we talk about positive trainers this side because we talked about negative trainers last week they had so many where they were told by positive trainers to take their dogs around the back of the car and and discipline it there so that isn't even a positive trainer that's like look my positive trainer got you in here and these are actual words somebody told me they told me they were a positive trainer to get me in here and once I got in I realized they weren't a positive trainer at all they had just said those words to so I would sign up for the class and I think the whole positive wording has just become a big massive marketing brand yeah well i don't think it can be done i don't think you can raise a dog to be a companion dog um using purely positive only now there are lots of things it does do. it's great for trick training it's essential for teaching new behaviors you should only be using positive reinforcement But once the dog understands it, there has to be a consequence if the dog then rejects something that you know as a parent is dangerous. In the same way that if I had a child who was two or three, I couldn't just positively reinforce it because I know it would make very poor choices. That child would want to go wandering off down the street. And I couldn't say, well, if you stay in the house, I'll play with you with toys because sooner or later that door would be open and the child still hadn't learned it couldn't wander off down the street. You have to make it clear that it can't. And it's just the same with dogs. I just don't know why we're pretending the opposite. But what I hear all the time is that any form of correction, aversive, punisher is cruel. And they market it as you're cruel if you do this. And so, of course, it leaves owners and trainers feeling, well, I I don't want to be cruel. So I've got to use positive only. But what they find is actually by eight months, the dog is in rescue. Were you brought in uh, children there again, though? I think this is the another missing piece of the jigsaw with dog training. When you take your child, uh, in Wales, you can take your child to school at three. I think it's a little bit older in other parts of the UK, but you take them at three and you put, take them into the classroom and you give them to a teacher and then you walk out because you know the little monkey's coming out after you. And when you pick them up, you're at that door and you do not take your eyes at that, off that door because you know the minute the teacher sees you and lets them out, they will run frantically towards anything possible that they like it's not always you it could be somebody's left out a bike or whatever we at that point we're not screaming at them because we know what to expect because they are babies and they are still learning so we accommodate and we adapt our training to help the child learn we are still in training phase this is how we do it when they get to secondary school they can walk home from school we trust them to come out the door and across the road because 
Will they've had the time in training to know what's correct and what's not correct. If at 12 I see my daughter running across the road and she gets to the car, I will say, why on God's earth were you not looking left and right? I watched you, you were looking at your phone, don't do it again. My conversation, my behaviour to her is completely different because she should know better. Where is that conversation in dog training that there's a section of time where the dog doesn't need you to come down on it like a ton of bricks because it doesn't understand. And then as it gets older and it knows right from wrong, because dogs do know right from wrong once they've been trained something. They know what you want and what you don't want. There's got to be some type of correction at that point when they're just taking the mick. Well, I think there's a reason why when we look at every species on the planet, Every species on the planet creates some sort of negative consequence for when you make a bad choice. That's just how it is. And those who don't understand that end up not in the food chain. They get killed. So what are left are the ones that understand that there is a line they're not supposed to cross. And if you watch a bitch weaning her puppies, by the time those puppies are four to five weeks, she starts saying, OK, the shop's shutting down now. I think you need to go and start eating something else. When the puppies insist on trying to feed, she doesn't click and treat them. She doesn't throw milk over to the other side of the room to lure them away over there. She just says, no, the shop's shut. You're not listening. And what you see her doing is going, ow, 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 ow. And what those puppies do is they then just go and lie down over there. Now, what the positive only brigade would say is that her using that form of punishment, which I'm sure everyone on this um, podcast will agree, is far higher than anything I ever use in my dog training. But she goes, ah, ah, and she snaps at them all. And they all just go off. They're not phoning dog line and saying, our mother's just told us off. We need rescue. Call Esther Ransom. This is terrible. They just go and they settle somewhere else. This is not rocket science. The puppies just learn, okay, there's a line with mum we're not supposed to cross, which let's face it, everybody needs to learn. That's why we punish criminals, because we know that if we don't punish them, they continue to make very bad choices. And I think it's idealistic to say and I've heard this actually said well the reason why we shouldn't use punishment is because we know more than dogs and I think wow we are now so arrogant that we believe we can train dogs better than dogs can dogs are getting it wrong they should be doing it our way well that's not going to work and one of the things I love and I'm sure all of the trainers on here agree is that when we speak to our clients they say things like it's just common sense it's so simple. It's so obvious because dog training really is. We're just being led to believe it's much more complicated than it really is. And that's why we walk out of our clients' houses. And by the time we walk out the door, the client is saying, I can't believe how much better my dog is behaving already. They're inspired to keep on with the training because they see within minutes of us saying, OK, now you've known since a puppy what these people want you to do. Well, now you're going to have to do it. And the dog says, okay, well, I didn't realise that. I didn't realise I had to do it. I thought it was optional. But now that I know I have to do it, I'll do it. And positive-only trainers will say to owners all the time, dog training is a marathon, not a sprint. You have to be prepared for it to take years. You'll probably be dead before the dog's better. But hopefully your children will inherit this mentality and they'll continue the dog's training. And I just think that's a lovely theory. But actually, the dog's going to end up in rescue. They don't want to inherit a problem dog that hopefully by the time their children come along it's getting a bit better. They want it better now. Oh, they're going to get rid of that dog. And I just think, come on, time to wake up.